You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy. We are finishing up our Legacy Continued series. Uh, this is our third iteration as we jump into, we've, we've looked at uh, the book of Genesis uh, three times now, and we just keep taking bite-sized chunks because there's so much to cover uh, and we, we enjoy this conversation so much, but we want to jump back into the New Testament. And next week, we'll be looking at the letters of John. First John, Second John, and Third John will be taking five weeks to cover that. But we need to finish this series. And we're talking about how do we live out the legacy that's been given to us, the spiritual legacy that's been given to us. Some of us have been given a spiritual legacy that we want to forget. Some of us has been, have been given a great legacy and we're just trying to figure out what's this, how do I do my part now that I'm of the age that I got to take this on myself. Like I, I know when I was Josh's age, my son, uh, I, I was floundering. I was trying to figure things out and, and um, maybe I'm still floundering, who knows. But, uh, you know, I had to figure out the legacy and, and I had this kind of this mixture of legacy. My grandparents and some of my aunts and uncles, many of my aunts and uncles lived out their legacy really, really well. My parents and my brother and I, we were not. We were not living out the legacy well at all. Um, and we had to figure it out. And we did. And I'm grateful that we did. Um, and so that's what this series is about. We're finishing up today. In the last few weeks, we've been looking at the life of, of uh, Jacob. Uh, a little bit of Esau, but mostly Jacob. And, and their relationship uh, as brothers and how that plays out. Because uh, when we talk about a spiritual legacy, family is almost always involved, right? And... Um, we saw a couple weeks ago how Jacob was just kind of disengaged. Like there was this, all this mama drama going on. There's a, there was the wife that was loved and the wife that was not loved and, and they're, and they're maidservants and, and they get involved in the picture. And so now uh, these two wives with their maids are competing for Jacob's attention, but Jacob just seems disengaged. And then last week we see that, that not only is there chaos when Jacob disengages, there's chaos when Jacob engages. <laughs> That's a mess, right? And so we see this picture, these four stories that, that came out and how uh, when it came to the flock, he made his flock strong at the expense of his uncle. Like it's fine to make your flock strong, but why are you making your flock strong at the expense of your uncle and making your uncle's flock that you're overseeing weak? That doesn't seem right, does it? And, and then when he chooses to leave because his uncle's attitude towards him is not favorable, he's dishonest. 
He's dishonest. The scripture, the Holy Spirit tells us this, right? And when he's accused by his uncle, he chooses to curse instead of bless. And he doesn't even know that he's blessing the wife that he loves. He doesn't even know who he's, who he's cursing. But he's just throwing out this, this curse. And that's going to have an impact on the story. Uh, we won't actually see that part of the story, but Rebecca dies in giving birth to her youngest son. And she's going to die while on this journey. We, we won't quite cover that this time around, but um, that is part of the story. Finally, finally, Jacob decides when, when his uncle confronts him, he builds an altar. He remembers the heritage, the spiritual heritage and, and his part and that he, he actually had chutzpah at one point for this spiritual heritage and that he needs to live this out. But he, he was distracted for, for 20 years. Have you ever been distracted for a long season and gotten off the path that you sensed God was leading you to? I'm glad I didn't do it for 20 years, but I've had some, some long periods. And, and it's chaotic when you live life that way. And so out of four stories, he gets one of them right. He's batting 250. Now that still puts you in the major leagues. So that's, <laughs> there's that. But there's a, a series of problems and a series of mistakes. And the story is just full of that. And, and but now that he is, realigned himself with this spiritual heritage and remembers this call in his life to live out this legacy. What are we going to see in the next couple of chapters? So starting in Genesis 32, now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Jacob said, when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanaim which means two camps, okay? Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother, commanding them saying, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. This sounds redemptive. This sounds redemptive. In fact, we need to understand that uh, Jacob is 100 miles away from his brother. Let's take a look at the map. He's 100 miles away from his brother. So uh, he was at Mitzvah with, when he faced his uncle in the last week's story. This week, we're going to find him in Peniel. And his, his brother is down in Mount Seir. And that purple line represents the distance that both the messengers had to travel and that Esau will have to travel in order for these two brothers to engage with each other. Jacob is being proactive. He's engaging. And this is not usual for him when it comes to family, is it? Let's take a look at the next picture. Usually when it comes to family, he avoids. In this case, he chooses to engage because he's living out the legacy. Now we call this family 2.0. If you are familiar with software, uh, usually 1.0 has some major bugs. Jacob 
had some major bugs in the way he dealt with family before. This new version seems better. Let's see what else happens. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau. And furthermore, he is coming to meet you. All right. That sounds good, right? And 400 men are with him. <laughs> uh, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound good. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. In the Hebrew, it's two camps. For he said, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp which is left will escape. Now, we will talk about this conversation more in footnotes. What, what's going on with the camps? Uh, a couple of different options, maybe, maybe more than a couple. Uh, and the rabbis do something very interesting with the two camps of angels. We'll talk about that and what that can mean. Uh, just some fun stuff to talk about. But let me say this. When we choose to reconcile with the people that we have wronged, when we come to that point of decision where I'm going to reconcile with them, usually we are ready way sooner than they are. Esau doesn't seem ready to reconcile, does he? I mean, who shows up with 400 men over a, hey, I've, I've missed you for 20 years. Maybe it's 400 of his best friends, but I doubt it. So, continuing the story, let's see what Jacob does. Jacob said, O God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. Pay attention to these next words. I am unworthy of all your loving kindness and of all your faithfulness, which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only, I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and my mothers with the children. For you said, for you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. This, my friends, is a great prayer. I mentioned uh, a couple weeks back, the first recorded prayer of Jacob. I think there's only two of them that I remember. The first one, I called it the most unspiritual prayer in all the scriptures. Our care group had quite the laugh over this prayer. It, uh, if you remember finding Nemo and the, uh, oh, the... Seagulls, mine, 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 mine. Like that was his prayer. His prayer was full of me and mine. And if you do this for me, if you do that for me, God, if you do all these things for me, God, then you will be my God. It is the prayer of a person who is spiritually immature. But guess what? That's okay. Because that's where we start. We all start 
spiritually immature. We all start awkwardly with our conversation with, with God. We all start with this self-focus. I mean, you talked about a, an infant physically. They are about feed me now, feed me now, feed me now. I just pooped again, right? That's, their, <laughs> that's what they will talk about. Me, me, mine, 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 because they are needy. And when we're spiritually brand new in relationship with God, you know what? God will take the prayers that you got for him. He can handle those prayers. And I don't care if you're not sure if it's mature or immature or whatever. It don't matter. Just start. Just start the conversation because he can handle that. But this prayer... This prayer is changed. This is a prayer of a humble man. Let's take a look at prayer 2.0. See, his prayer starts out self-centered. 20 years before this point. And now it's humble. This is a great pattern for a prayer. If we approach God humbly with the right understanding of, of who God is and who we are in relationship with him. And, and honestly, we gotta, it takes time for us to figure that out. When we first come to God, we don't really know who he is. We kind of do. We know a little bit about him. We've got some rumors that have not been verified, at least by us. But as we get to know him, we, we start developing this right understanding of who he is in relationship to who we are. And so Jacob prays humbly. He makes a request. You know what? We are needy people in comparison to God. God doesn't need us, but he loves us and wants us. But we definitely need him. And so it's okay for us to make a request. But notice what else he does. He reminds God of his promises. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sea of the sand which is too great to be numbered. This is a pattern, my friends, of the great prayers in the scriptures. They come humbly. I don't deserve your loving kindness. I'm grateful for your loving kindness. I'm an unworthy servant. They come with a request and they come reminding God of his promises. And, and we got to know what those promises are in order to remind him, Right? But we can and we should remind God of his promises. This is a great prayer. And so the story continues. He, sent, he spent the night there. He spent the night there in prayer. And he selected from what he had with him a present, a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. Wow, that's a gift. And he delivered them into the hands of his servants, every drove by itself. And he said to his servants, pass on before me and put a space between the droves. And so the present passed on before him while he himself spent the night in the camp. And I want you to think back to the very first story that we heard about Jacob and Esau and, and, and in dealing with conflict, like, like why was there conflict? There was conflict because Jacob was 
taking. He was taking. He was taking. He took the birthright with some stew. He, he, he had his brother in a vulnerable position and he took advantage of it. And then he, then he took the blessing. The blessing, every word was meant for his brother and he stole it. And yet, in conflict 2.0, he's generous. Jacob is generous. Guys, if when we are in conflict with people, if we would be generous towards them, it will change the circumstances every time. If we just be generous with our thoughts about the person, like doesn't he have to be generous with the thought about Esau? Like his, he's got to assume that Esau can actually change. Jacob saw how much he had to change in 20 years. Maybe his brother would be able to change too. He wasn't that many days away from, from starting conflict with his uncle through deception. And he had the hope that his brother, he was, he was generous with his thoughts, but also with his resources. And if we would be generous with our resources, conflict can be different. And notice that this, this gift comes out of this prayer. Like it wasn't just that, that God was going to do something. Jacob was going to need to do something too. And the story continues, Jacob was left alone. And the man rest, wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, but if you and I are wrestling and you put my thigh out, you know, out socket, I'm done. I'm tapping out. Rambo too. Like uh, I've seen those movies. Uh, you shoot me with one bullet. There's no flaming arrow that's going to help me out. <laughs> one bullet's going to be done. I'll be done. Jacob has that chutzpah, that, that drive. He, he's willing to wrestle. He's not willing to let go. And, and I think he has a sense of who this is he's wrestling with because he won't let go of him. He says, I want you to bless me. I want you to bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? Oh, I don't think he could have been asked a harder question. I don't think Jacob could have been asked a harder question. Have you ever had someone ask you a question that, that was innocuous on their part, but on your part, just a flood of emotion came, came rushing in because... It reminded you of, of this shameful whatever. Like they ask you a question, they're not trying to shoot you through the heart, but they do because you're reminded of this story, of this past, of this failure, of this whatever that you want to forget. That's what happens here. Because this name, Jacob has been trying to live beyond this name 
He's been trying to prove that he's not second best. He's been trying to prove that that he does have value and worth, that it, his value and worth is innate, but his decisions and, and the way he cho- chooses to live that out. And, and I've been there. Like I've been trying to live, you know, outlive something in my past and, and the way I choose to do that and the way I choose to uh, just kind of overcome my past, I end up running other people over in the process. Maybe you've been there. Maybe there's that painful part of your past that you've been trying to undo. And by trying to undo that without God's help, you've caused more problems. The amazing part is that God wants to speak to that piece. He wants to do something about that. He wants to meet you there. He wants to remove that shame. He says, Jacob, what is your name? He says, Jacob. I'm not sure Jacob is hanging on quite as tight at this point. He's been wrestling. His hip is out of joint. He was unwilling to let go. But I think his grip loosened when he was asked what his name was. And God speaks into the situation. Your name shall no longer be Jacob. Did you know that we are promised a new name in heaven? A name that we'll never be ashamed of? Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. God's going to get asked that a couple times, isn't he? The first time he doesn't answer the question. He said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, where he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life, my life has been preserved. Not, not only preserved, his life is going to be changed. Whenever Jacob lives according to the new name, he is doing things redemptively. Now, that name, Israel, means strives with God. But, you know, you could change a pen stroke just, just a little bit on the very first letter of, his, of, that, of that word, Israel. You could change a pen stroke just a tiny, tiny bit. And the name means straight with God. Straight with God. And when you strive with somebody, you have to be straight with them because you're face to face. Up to this point, Jacob hasn't always chose to be straight with people. He's lived up to that heel grabber, the, the, the crooked one, the one that is trying to supplant. And God says, you are now starting to live your life in a straight manner. You are starting to live your life in a redemptive way, and it looks amazing. And I'm going to call you something different so that you remember that when you come face to face and you wrestle with people, it's better than avoiding them. It's better than avoiding conflict. It's better than avoiding problems. It's better than not being part of the conversation. And so... He gets 
in your name. Then Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. This is a change your pants kind of moment. Yeah, wear not, not green pants, you have to wear brown ones. Right. Behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided their children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids and their children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And pay attention what Esau does. Then Esau ran to meet him. He ran to meet him and he embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. What, what a cool moment. This, this is redemptive. And, and you may be wondering like, well, like, come on, how redemptive is this? Like he's, he's got all kinds of lambs and ewes and, and donkeys and whatever else, like, like he got a huge gift. How redemptive is this? Well, Jesus thinks this is redemptive because he refers to it in the story of the prodigal son. In Luke 15, 20, we're told that the prodigal son got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he does three things. He runs to him. He embraces him and he kissed him. And maybe what Jesus wants to tell us in the prodigal son story is, I want you to be like Esau, Israel. I want you to be like Esau. But don't just be like Esau. Be like your father in heaven who, without the gift, will run to you and embrace you and kiss you. You don't even have to appease him first with a gift. Be like that. That's how God receives us when we get off track, when we are not straight, when we are crooked, when we don't know where we're at anymore, but we want to be near God anyway. That's the kind of God that we serve. And so Esau 2.0. The last time we saw Esau, he wanted to murder his brother. This time he chooses to embrace him. And Jacob, because Jacob lives out his part of the legacy, he finally, like he's batting a thousand in this week's game. Last week's game is batting 250. The week before, we were not even sure he decided to get up to bat. This week, he's batting a thousand. And because he's living the legacy of the kingdom, his brother is able to join in with that. And I try to think about a story where, where I was Jacob and someone else was the Esau and I couldn't think of one. The Holy Spirit didn't remind me of one of those stories. <laughs> he reminded me of the story when I was Esau. My brother and I had worked with my, uh, in my parents' shop a number of times. I, I was fired from my parents' shop. I, I think my dad said two or three times. I, I forget now. Um, I must have been just an amazing son because he kept inviting me back in. 
or he was like God. <laughs> he was like the father in the prodigal story. But, um, and I'm the older brother, but eight years ago, my brother and I worked together again and I had my responsibilities and he had his responsibilities and it was, it was like sodium and water. Two smart guys that just couldn't figure out how to be humble with each other. And my brother is brilliant. I love him. But I could not figure out how to humbly relate with him. And then a year later, my brother comes back. And uh, I'm getting ready to leave the shop because I'm going to do an internship at Real Life, the church as a part of then a pastoral internship. And my brother was coming in so that he can run the business because my dad uh, had two types of cancers and he was not able to function at 100%. By, by noon, you could see the battery was drained in him and he was, he, you know, he just couldn't do a whole day. My brother comes in and uh, the very first conflict between my brother and I, he acts humbly towards me. <laughs> I was so embarrassed by my initial response to him because of how humble my brother was. And his humility gave me the ability to be humble. And that last time that we worked together with my parents, we would lose my dad within a year and a half of that time. It was a good one. It was a good ending to that particular story. And Jacob, Jacob lives redemptively in, and uh, his brother is able to live redemptively because of it. The implication is this. Hope is reborn when we willingly face God and our messy past through prayer and reconciliation. Hope is reborn when we face willingly face God, I think we should go to him first and our messy pass through prayer and reconciliation. Now, I'll say this. We were able to cover the story quickly, but this story was 20 years in the making, 20 plus years in the making. And so sometimes when we seek reconciliation, when we first start down that path, it's a season. It's a long season. And so let's not forget that. Just, just because we desire to make, to reconcile, doesn't mean people are ready for it. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do our part. It doesn't mean we shouldn't do our part. And because Jacob was willing to face those things, he got to experience his God. He got to experience his God. When you avoid conflict, when you, when you don't choose to live straight, when you try to do everything according to your design, according to your best intentions, your, your great wisdom, you don't get to experience God. But when you choose to do things according to his design, and that feels awkward because I, I haven't done that like that before. 
and it will challenge you and you need people in the community around you that are going to help you make these choices and know what the right ones are and, and know how to live that out and made the same mistakes that you've made and and it's good experience our God in those moments is so amazing and that wasn't available just to Jacob it's, it's available to you and to I and I'm grateful and I'm grateful Hope is reborn when we willingly face God in our messy past through prayer and reconciliation. And so a next step. Acknowledge those areas where you've been avoiding reconciliation and spend time humbly praying for your next steps. Take some time to pray about it. Maybe pray with someone that you trust, someone that has been there before, someone that could be on this journey with you. Because I believe that Jacob's prayer led to the gift that he would give to Esau because Jacob was able to finally see the conflict through his brother's eyes. Have you ever been there where you finally saw the conflict through the other person's eyes? You're like, oh, (laughs) that's what they've been talking about. Oh, I can't believe I said that that way. Oh, I can't believe I did that that way. We've all had those moments. You know what? God is in the business of changing that story into something better. And we get to experience him in the process. Now, the implication for this series, how do we live out our legacy? How do we do that well? That's what we've been trying to answer here. And I think the most important for us to walk away from this series is living out our part of legacy well means finishing well. We will be known by how we finish. Apostle Paul says, I have finished the race. Will you finish the race? Will you finish well, regardless of how you started Maybe, maybe like me, you made a ton of mistakes in your 20s. Like, whew, those are ugly, ugly mistakes. I had a dear brother tell me this week, he's like, Rob, me too. Lots of mistakes in my 20s. I wouldn't have guessed that because of the way they're finishing. How you finish matters. Maybe your life has been full of failures. And you're like, I don't know if anything, anything about this can ever change. Absolutely. It absolutely can. That's why we're here, to do this together, to figure it out together. Maybe you've started out well, but now you're thinking about coasting. There's a temptation to coast. I mean, our, our culture just kind of breeds that, doesn't it? Like, like we're... Once we retire, you know, like the golden years of doing nothing. That sounds so boring, by the way. To this guy of doing nothing, I'm going to do more for the Lord when I retire than what I get to do today. And I'm a pastor. But starting well and not, not finishing well, just choosing the coast, that, that's not finishing well. We are called 
to be a blessing to the whole world. That takes action. And it needs to start with our family. And sometimes that's the hardest place for us to figure out how to be a blessing. But let's, let's strive until our family is blessed. Let's strive until our neighbors are blessed. Let's strive until Missoula is no longer has this reputation of killing churches and killing church plants. Let's strive until that is different. Until this is the place to come to find Christ. This town, this community is the place to come. Let's change that reputation. This is the place where people are blessed because of the church. Let's change that reputation. Let's do something about God's legacy here in Missoula. What starts by regularly engaging with the Lord through the scriptures. Not, not, not just reading, not just knowing about the scriptures, not just knowing the storyline, actually engaging with the Lord. And if you don't know how to do that, then let's, let's, let's talk about that. Let's, let's disciple you in that because, because everybody should get the opportunity to experience their God. So let's regularly engage with the Lord through the scriptures. Paul puts it this way, all scripture, all scripture, all of it, not that just the New Testament. In fact, I don't even think that Paul's talking about the New Testament because the New Testament hadn't even been canonized. All scripture is inspired by God, God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, I might have just lost you with that word righteousness. You're like, oh, I was with you. I was with you. Uh, righteousness? Yeah, I, I remember, I, I pictured that, uh, oh, that comedy in the 70s, maybe 80s, where the guy was like, righteous. <laughs> what does it mean to be righteous? For many people, righteousness is assigned to people who act holier than thou or self-righteous. People who point fingers and see themselves as better than someone else. But this is not how the Bible sees righteousness. Others assign righteous to those who follow a moral compass of what is good and right and pure. Does that resonate with you? Is that like, is that when you think of righteousness, are you thinking that that's not me? That's got to be somebody else. That can't be me. Well, the Hebrew word for righteousness is Zedek or Zedekah. And the, the, the word, the root word means to be even or to be straight. To be straight. Something is righteous when it's as it should be. Jacob's life was starting to become as it should be be. Weights and measurements in the scriptures are called righteous if they are as they should be. When you go buy gas this week and you're paying what, 14 bucks a gallon? 
you want to make sure that that gallon that you're getting is an actual gallon, that the measurement is accurate. You might even hope that it's off a little bit to your favor, but that's beside the point. A weight or a measurement is righteous when it's as it should be. A judge is righteous when their judgments are as they should be. Do we have to have a long conversation about judges that are not righteous that make judgments? Like we could figure, like it's pretty obvious, right? When a judge is not righteous, like we could see that pretty easily. Paths are righteous when they're as they should be, when they lead you to the place that you're supposed to go. Our speech is righteous when it's as it should be, when it's truthful, when it's helpful, when it's kind. Our lives are righteous when it is as it should be. I hope that you all are pursuing righteousness because righteousness, righteousness, you shall pursue. We're not talking about perfection here. Not a perfect person in this room. I could guarantee you that. I don't know your story, but I know enough of your story to know that there might be some righteous people in here. And I think there are that your lives are as it should be. But let's continue to aim for that. Let's continue to pursue righteousness. Life can be righteous when we are pursuing things as they should be. Jacob, when he engaged with his family, Jacob, when he prayed humbly. Jacob, when he was generous in conflict. Esau, as he chose to embrace his brother that he once vowed to kill, were righteous. And the scriptures teach us, us this. Let's take a look at this next picture. Um, uh, next, the next graphic. There we go. Scriptures teaches us. We look at these stories that teach us. All scripture is profitable because it teaches us about the path that we are to be on. And then when we get distracted and we, we turn off the path, we, we forget where we're supposed to be. We lose track or we just don't know because no one's ever taught us. We've never been discipled. It provides reproof. God's word provides reproof. But God doesn't just stop with reproof. He wants to correct you. He wants to get you back onto the path. If you just get told, hey, you're off the path, that's not helpful. Sometimes Siri does that to me. I have no idea where you're at, so I'm just tell you to get back on the path. Well, thank you very much, Siri. Or recalculating. That's not helpful. But when Siri shows back up and corrects you and says, no, 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 take a left here. That's helpful. All scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in how to live life as it should be. And I hope that you'll engage with that. And that's, that's more than just coming here for Sunday. Like this is good. We need this time. But this is a little bit of scripture 
we're not going to get to all scripture in this environment, are we? You have to sit here a long time. Let's not do that. And so that's why we have other environments like care groups where we talk about these things, like, how do I apply this to myself? Like, how do I figure out how to do this for myself? And then we also have life transforming groups. Our life transforming groups look at three chapters a week, every day for a week. And then we talk about what is God speaking to us through his word, because we're supposed to engage with him in his word. And we have covered so much scripture in the last year. We've hit the book of Acts, uh, one of the gospels, maybe two. Um, We've looked at uh, Isaiah, a good portion of Isaiah. Um, We've been in Old Testament. We've been in New Testament. We're going right now through uh, the epistles of John, and that's our next sermon series. But we need that time with God's word because God is action oriented. God's word is action oriented. The life that we're supposed to live is action oriented. In this series that we're going to look at, this God is series, let's go ahead and go to the next slide, is action oriented. In the first few chapters alone, we're told that, that there are certain things that we do as Christians, that, that we are to walk in a certain way, that we're supposed to obey in a certain way, that we're supposed to, there's things that we are not supposed to do. There's things that we should do. There's that we're to keep certain things that we're to remain, that we're to continue, that we're to live. Like this is a very action oriented book. And we're going to live, we're going to look at what kinds of things was the first church told to do in response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can't just coast our friends. John finishes this way. For we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. John's going to talk a lot about the fact that you can know God. You can know him. Not about him. Know him. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And this is the eternal life. Knowing Jesus, being in relationship with him, connecting with him, hearing his voice, knowing him leading you specifically is eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. We're called to a life, to a legacy that's been passed down for 2,000 years. And that legacy is, has hit the four corners of the globe. And you and I are in this room today because someone lived the legacy and they passed it on to us. And the question is, what will we do with that legacy? Will we do our part? Will there be another group of people that sit in a room like this, hopefully with better air conditioning, but will sit in a room like this 
worshiping God because we lived out our legacy? And will the rest of Missoula be invited in because we live out our part of a legacy? We're a small group today. You never know when Pentecost comes and 3,000 are added to your number. That's God's decision. That's, that's, that's God's to do. Ours is faithfulness. And I want to live out my part. And I invite you to do that. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come say hello. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.